1: Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm your host here, as always, Austin Peterson, coming to you from Gilbert, Arizona. If this is the first time that you're listening to our podcast and you're wondering what it is we do here at Tycoons of Small Biz, we are truly a a small business podcast put together by small business owners for small business owners. And what we do is we take an opportunity to interview a new business owner every single week about their business, about their experience, about you know their failures, their successes, any kind of advice that they can give to the rest of us entrepreneurs and business owners throughout this country that will help us to learn and to be better. You know the reality is, ninety-nine percent of all businesses in this country are small businesses by the SBA definition. Most of us will never become the next Amazon or the Microsoft or whatever, but we have an opportunity to to build these businesses, and we and there truly are tycoons of small biz who are out there running great organizations that are benefiting our communities. So with that being said, and uh, these business owners truly being the backbone of our American economy, we wanted to invite one of the tycoons on today. His name is Patrick Lang. He's coming from Florida. He runs an organization called Business Modification Group. They're a business broker that specializes in working with HVAC companies or HVAC companies, depending on how you say that. And so, Patrick, welcome to the show. Hey, I really appreciate you having me on, Austin. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, Patrick, excited to have you here. Most of our guests know by now that we always have a pre-qualification call and we feel like uh, you know, you're kind of a kindred spirit to Landon and I and and uh, you know, you're working in the same area that we're working in, doing some of the same things. Landon and I were actually on a on a meeting. Landon's still on that meeting. He's actually presenting Uh, on our behalf, kind of some of the things that we do from a marketing standpoint, which obviously factors into the podcast, but it's a group of advisors that do what we do. And we even had some investment bankers on and some, you know, some other people who are not financial advisors to come on and talk about prepping a business for sale and selling it and what that entails and the different structures that are involved. So I'm excited to kind of get into that with you today because, we went through a pretty interesting case study, a manufacturing business, not an overly large business, but it did sell for $70 million. And the way that it was structured was was kind of unique. The sale, I mean, the structure of the sale was was uh was unique and some of the you know things that we can do, and you know, obviously you can get into that as well and and so forth. So before we jump into kind of the business side of things, Patrick, we always like to start by having you tell us a little bit about you personally. So Whatever that means to you, where you grew up, where you went to school, what you studied, are you married, do you have kids, do you have grandkids, whatever that looks like uh, that you'd like us to know about you personally, we'd love to hear. it. Absolutely.
0: So I'm I'm something most people have never met. I'm actually a Florida native. There's not many people in the state of Florida from Florida. And so I live in a little small town in North Florida called Horseshoe Beach. I'm a graduate of the University of Florida, so I'm a devout Gator fan. Spend my Saturdays at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium screaming for the Gators. I do have three kids, a 30-year-old, a 25-year-old, and a 20-year-old. And so my oldest actually bought my heating and air company. So when I made the transition from, I was a general broker, general business broker, selling everything, bars, restaurants, gas stations, you name it, I've sold it. I bought a heating and air company myself, ran it for two years and wanted to go sell it. Uh, my son actually bought me out, so my son in my office is in his office. I'm I'm working from the house today because inside a heating and air office sometimes in the summertime in Florida can be a little busy and crazy, and so I thought it'd be challenging to to be on this meeting today. And so my daughter uh, is a graduate of University of Florida, and my son just transferred to the University of Florida, so uh, deep lines at the university, and I have two grandchildren, and so I I live in kind of a weird place in florida most people think of florida think everybody gets up goes to the beach every day and then disney world and we go out to eat and uh, my county actually only has thirteen thousand people in it so it's kind of unique for florida or a small country town uh on the water thank goodness i'm on the gulf but uh it's kind of a unique place to be and it's kind of they call it old florida so it's like what florida used to be but uh So anyways, that's a little bit about me and and, and a quick intro to my business. So I I come from a financial background as well, prior to getting into business brokerage. Started buying businesses probably 15 or 16 years ago. Found the world of business brokerage and have have been doing it ever since. And as you mentioned, Austin, I just do heating and air now. I'll do a little bit of plumbing and electrical, but primarily probably 95% of the businesses I sell on an annual basis are heating and air.
1: Gotcha. Well, a couple of things uh, that I'll just mention, you know, from what you said there. So, first, I thought about you actually a few weeks ago because, unfortunately, living in Arizona in the summer, much like living in Florida in the summer, heating and air contractors are pretty busy. Right. And uh, my air conditioning units, both of them went out. Oh, no. And, uh, <laughs> I knew that they were going to need to be replaced here pretty soon. My brother actually is a heating and air contractor. He now just kind of does it on the side. He's full-time maintenance for the state of Utah um, and, you know, kind of runs a a division of their maintenance uh, department, so to speak. But he was going to come down in the fall slash winter and replace it. I knew it was coming, right? But I thought I could get through one more summer and uh, it did not work. And so when they showed up at my house to replace those units, it was 94 degrees upstairs and 89 degrees downstairs. Much like Florida, everybody talks about Arizona. Yeah, but it's a dry heat. No big deal. Well, it's monsoon season. It's been raining essentially every day for the last month. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's been 100 degrees with about 70% humidity. And so for here, that is, you know, it's just uncomfortable. Sleeping those few nights while waiting for air conditioning or, you know, HVAC contractors to get here to get those replaced, it it was rough even with some portable AC units to try to get, you know, window units to get us through uh, those few days, it was, it was pretty uncomfortable. You know, and that's part of
0: what made me make the decision of eye heating and air company. There's certain things we'll do without, and even in uh, slow down to the economy, you know, you may cut out your yard guy or clean your own pool. Most people aren't going to deal deal without uh, cold air in the summer and warm air in the winter. You know, I mean, it's just the reality of it. And that's, uh, that's part of what made me buy the company. And also part of what made me switch my entire practice to, to focusing on that industry is a, it's something that's typically relatively recession resistant. You know, some people may get a repair as opposed to replacing the unit if they can, limping something along. But at the end of the day, in most states, you can't buy parts without a license. And so it sets up the businesses to do pretty well. And that was part of the decision of me switching. I've been there and done that. So I know what you're feeling.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was a rough couple of days, but my I'll tell you what, it feels very comfortable now. And I'm looking forward to the the utility bill that should be considerably less than it was before with those 20-year-old units. Absolutely. Yeah, it better be. Yeah, for sure. And and last thing I'll I'll mention is unfortunately this weekend I I I can't commit to rooting for the Florida Gators for you. Oh yeah, we play Utah. Yes, you do, and that's that's where I grew up, and I actually have a nephew who plays on the offensive line for Utah. Oh how neat! We're going to the
0: game. I'll be there. Uh, I'm not real confident. You know we we haven't had a, a good couple of years. We've got a new coach that I'm I've got a lot of confidence in, but we'll we'll see what happens on Saturday for our first game to play. Utah, who's done extremely well the last few years, yeah. I'm not overly confident. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> well, I tell you what, you know, I'm sure you guys hear this. I'm, I'm, I know you guys say it in your area of the country, but everywhere else in the country, we always say, you know what? It, it, they're still an SEC team. They still have SEC recruits. So Utah's a Pac-12 team, which Pac-12 is is a decent conference. I wouldn't say it over the last decade they've been overly strong you know since usc kind of fell back oregon's always been kind of there but yeah i don't know I, I on any given saturday for sure but what i kept telling my nephew i just saw him a few weeks ago his his stepmom turned 60 and we went to her birthday party he was there and i was talking to him and i you know i just kind of asked him i said are you guys doing anything to practice for the heat and the humidity, because it's not hot and humid in Utah right now. It's hot, not not like Gainesville, right? Right. And they hadn't done anything to that point. And I said, gosh, I sure hope that your coaching staff has that on the agenda, because I think you're going to be shocked at how stifling that heat will be when you show up on Saturday evening to play that game.
0: Yeah, you know, so I listened to the coaches show on monday nights they do a, a coach's show in Gainesville and i'm only about an hour outside of Gainesville so our radio station that's what it plays and uh they were talking about it on last night's show stating the one advantage they hope the gators have it's supposed to rain some on saturday so the humidity should be through the roof and uh you know in the stadium depending on the time of year it could be in the upper 90s now we don't play until seven o'clock at night so it shouldn't be that bad but the humidity will certainly be there we've had had a lot of rain lately uh you know typical summer showers in florida that's what they're hoping for i can promise you that was on the they were definitely talking about it on the show saying you know obviously the, our guys have been practicing
1: in it every day and we're hoping theirs haven't been so we'll, we'll see what happens yeah i haven't spoken to him for a few weeks so i don't know what what they've done but yeah it, it's interesting because so i grew up in provo utah which is where brigham young university is right uh, Yeah. University of Utah is about 45 miles North. Okay. And uh, I grew up a BYU fan. I got my MBA at BYU. I've, you know, I've been a lifelong BYU fan. And then my, I've got a 22 year old son that attends college at Arizona state, but he's a BYU fan as well. Just, you know, growing up my son and we've been watching them their whole lives. But on Saturday afternoon at four, I think it is, they play University of South Florida. So they play the Bulls at four o'clock there. And uh, my son was talking to me. He's like, Oh, wouldn't it be great if we went out there? We went to that game and then we went to the Utah game. And I'm like, In what universe do you believe that we can actually go to that game, attend it, and then get to Gainesville to watch the next game at seven o'clock? Like, even if the game was over, we'd have to take a helicopter. Right. You know? Two and a Next half hour game. drive,
0: not counting any traffic. And certainly that day there'll be traffic both in Tampa and in Gainesville. They, we sold out, the Gator game is sold out, and has been sold out for weeks. So there'll be 90,000 people there. It's a, it's a pretty intense environment. It's a lot of
1: fun. I'm excited and nervous all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just a college football fan. So if college football's on, I don't care really who's playing. Cause even last week, you know, week zero, Right. They had a couple of teams on, and yeah, I was I watching
0: a- as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, I was watching as well. So I'm I'm excited for the season to kick off. We do a lot with it, and so we're only an hour hour and a half outside of Tallahassee. And so my brother went to Florida State, which is a you know a bad bad rivalry. But uh, so college football is certainly in this area a lot. You know, it's a big oh, yeah. thing here in the Southeast in general. It is, and so I'm excited for the season to get going.
1: Yeah. Yeah, as they say in Texas and in SEC country, what, faith, family, football? That's it. That's, <laughs> that's exactly right. And uh, we're ready for it to start on Saturday, hopefully with a good outcome. <laughs> well, I, I will not wish you good luck, unfortunately, for sake, I understand, but... and <laughs> understand and respect that. Understand and respect that. It'll be a fun game to watch for sure, so. All right, well let's get into the to the business side of things. So, you know, what what's unique about your background? Obviously, you have some similar background to me. Your practice was a little different than than what Landon and I do, but at least you have a background on, you know, on the financial services side, financial advice, those sorts of things. And then you got into buying businesses and then buying and selling businesses and then you bought an HVAC business, later sold that to your son. And now you focus solely on selling HVAC businesses. So my question to you is, why? What, why was that the path or why, you know, why did you decide to niche just on HVAC businesses besides what you mentioned earlier about it being kind of recession-proof? Kind of
0: back up to the buying and selling and then the brokering side. I love looking at successful small businesses, kind of what makes them work. It's so impressive to me. to, to walk into somebody's business who 30 years ago with no money in their pocket and a pickup truck started a company that's now doing $5 million, $10 million, $20 million a year in sales, feeding their family, other people's family, taking care of their community. So the small business lifestyle, I guess, I love. I love meeting with people, seeing what works, what doesn't work, how they got to where they are, what they did, the risk they took. So when I made the decision to sell my practice, my financial planning practice and get into buying, I I, I sold my practice on a Friday. And on Monday morning, I bought a swimming pool service route, and started cleaning swimming pools. And so down uh, near Sarasota, Florida. And and so we grew that. And I didn't know anything about cleaning the swimming pool. When I came home to my wife that I was going to sell the financial planning practice and start cleaning swimming pools. She thought I was nuts. Most people have a midlife crisis and buy a Corvette. And and here I'm, I'm cleaning swimming pools. And she said, well, we own a swimming pool and you've never cleaned it. So now what in the world? Now you're going to start being an expert in this. And so, you know, it was just, I don't know, it was just a risk. But I did it and we grew it. And that gave me some confidence to buy other businesses and grow them. I was at a b meeting and I met a business broker and all through that, I'd been buying pool routes, growing pool routes, selling pool routes. So I was kind of doing that myself. And I, I was at a BNI meeting and I met a business broker and I said, you know, what does a business broker do? I didn't even know it existed. And he said, well, I help people sell their business. And I thought, gosh, nobody's helped me. And I've been doing this for four or five years. What in the world? So he told me about it. And I said, well, I want to do that. And so in the state of Florida in many States, you have to have a real estate license. So I went and got a real estate license. I went to Century 21 after I got my real estate license, went into the broker and said, hey, I want to be a business broker here. Can I do that? He said, sure, come on in. Well, I didn't know that most realtors didn't sell businesses. I didn't know what I was doing. So I went in and I said, what do I do? And he's like, well, we, we really don't do that here. but you will be the first one. And so we'll all figure it out together. And so the first year I made zero money and I think I made like $3,000 and I worked my butt off. And didn't sell anything, didn't know what I was doing. And I started reading and researching and studying. And in the state of Florida, we have a business organization, business brokers association called Business Brokers of Florida. I joined, did, I read everything I could. In the second year, I was number one in the region for deals done. And uh, and I, I learned that success leaves clues and find out what somebody else is doing and just copy it. So I did that, became pretty successful from a deal flow standpoint. And uh, we were doing a lot. I was living down in South Central Florida, and we were doing a lot of deals in North Florida. There wasn't a lot of brokers up here, so my wife and I made the decision to move to North Florida. And so when I moved to North Florida, I realized there wasn't as many buyers. You, know, you look at Clearwater, Tampa, Sarasota, there's thousands of people moving there a day. So if you listed a decent business it sold, and there was just people coming from all over the country with money, looking to find a way to make an income in the state of Florida. And they were buying businesses. So well, I moved to North Florida, never realizing that there was nobody moving to North Florida. Nobody knew where Gainesville was. And so so I was driving back and forth. I would drive down to Fort Myers, sell a business, drive back and forth. I, a guy had me list this heating and air company for sale. And I listed it. And I thought, wow, I love businesses with barriers to entry. Need a license, something like that to get into it. It helps eliminate competition, in my opinion. So I thought... Let me buy this. How difficult could it be? I've already done financial planning and swimming pools and other things. So I bought it and uh, not knowing anything about it. Still to this day, if your air conditioner is broke and you call me to come fix it, when I leave, it's going to be broke. So I'm not the guy to come to your house and fix anything. So I had to focus on what I could. I could handle the marketing part. I could handle the financial part. I could handle pricing. I could handle customer experience. I could handle all these other things. Which often in, in trade businesses and other businesses, the owners aren't very good at that typically. The guy who we bought the company from was incredible at fixing air conditioners, but didn't know anything about running a business. And that's common. You know, they didn't like their boss, so they just went on their own and started fixing air conditioners. And as a result, they stay busy or, or fixing plumbing or carpet or whatever it happened to be. And so, so I focused on the things that I could focus on, and we grew the business after two years of running it, um, I realized I, I didn't want to have employees and I had a financial planning company and a pool company. We had employees and now I had to become a business broker. It was just me and I could travel and I enjoy the outdoors. We, uh, um, travel a lot and go do things outside. And so, um, my youngest at the time was in high school, uh, playing baseball and he was traveling all over the country, playing baseball tournaments and trying to get seen by colleges, and. And I'm in a warehouse, making sure the guys are loaded up in the morning to go install the unit so I went to was going to go sell it, and I looked up pricing and I saw brokers all over the country, and we could track pricing data all of the country were listing them all all these crazy multiples, but they all sold within the same same multiple set and so I thought, well, nobody really knows what they're doing and I looked around and there's there's brokers which I didn't even know there's brokers who Specifying a lot of individual niches—swimming pool companies, or they just sell laundry mats or car washes—and I looked and I couldn't find anybody who just sold heating and air companies. And I thought, well, maybe there's something there. And at the time, I was just doing stuff in Florida, and so so I said, up I'm, I'm gonna just focus on it. And when I went to go sell my company, my son who was working for me part time said, don't sell it. I I want to be here. And so I ended up selling it to him excuse me, thank goodness he made all the payments. And so Christmas is still good around the house, which is a risk sometimes in a family business like that. But my son is pretty successful with it. My office is still inside his office. So he gets my advice every day, which I'm sure he doesn't want. So I realized there was a niche. And so I started, I was just selling, sold a few in Florida and then somebody in Georgia called me and then South Carolina. And next thing you know, I'm traveling all over the place and actually COVID was good for my business. You know, many people got hurt in COVID or their businesses got shut down and things. And for me, it was there was nobody flying. There was nobody traveling. And so it was dirt cheap for me. I could fly out of Gainesville to L.A. round trip for two hundred fifty dollars. And so I could fly to L.A. I'd leave here at six o'clock in the morning, get in L.A. at 10 o'clock in the morning, L.A. time, have two meetings, spend the night at a hotel and fly back the next morning. And I'd be out. $250, $50 $250, $50 for a rented car and hundred dollars for a hotel. And I had, and, and I was doing deals flying back and forth. So every seat was like first class, you know, they weren't booking the airplanes full. So for me, COVID was really good and I expanded, started doing a lot of more business out West. And then, you know, we've been fortunate that, that we've grown. And, and the last four years kind of my niche, I do a lot of companies that do under $10 million in sales. Because I think those are the people who really need my help. You know, if you're doing $50 million in sales, it doesn't take you long to find somebody to buy your business. And they're, they're lining up to buy it, where the smaller people, you know, $2 million in sales, $5 million in sales, they really need my help. And so in the last four years, I've sold more companies under $10 million in sales than in the country. And so it's easy to be the best when you're the only one. Um, and so I say it kind of jokingly that, that we do that many, but I've been fortunate and average about 20 companies
1: here. No, I think that's a, that's a big deal. I mean, obviously you get, you know, an understanding of a certain niche. I think, I think we talked about this in our pre-qualification call, like a lot of people in a lot of businesses, our, our business included, they get really nervous about saying, well, that is, that's my niche, right? Because, well, what if, what if I meet a so-and-so? What if I meet a teacher? What if I meet a, you know, whatever, and and they want my help? Well, you can choose to help them if you want, but your marketing focus and everything that you're learning and doing on a daily basis should be in one area, which makes you the best in that area, right? Maybe not the number one best, but one of the top advisors for selling HVAC businesses or one of the top advisors in whatever niche for whatever you do, it it makes a huge difference. And you actually find that you become more successful by, by niching that way than less successful. Oh, looking back, I a hundred percent agree. Starting off, I
0: was scared to death because I made the decision that I was, if I was going to say I'm the heating and air guy, that's what I needed to focus on. And I needed to know everything I could about it, become an expert in the field. And and that meant I couldn't be selling a, a flower shop on Tuesday and a heating and air company on Wednesday, because if I was focusing on the flower shop, that didn't help my heating and air clients. And if I was selling heating and air all day, it didn't help the flower shop. Clients. So I made the decision that if I'm going to do the best I can for the people who hire me, this is what I need to do. And I was 100% scared to death. And I've always heard, you know, the riches are in the niches and why do you know, why does the specialist surgeon get paid more than the general doctor? And I've heard that, read every book and heard it all my life. But but taking that leap was scary. And, and it really was. I, I, I was going to walk away from all these other things that I was doing that was feeding my family. So it wasn't like, you know, this wasn't a hobby for me. I mean, This is what I'm paying my bills and feeding my family with. And so there was a huge leap of faith. and uh, And so I've been blessed that it's worked. And but but looking back, by far the best decision I could have made not only for me, my business, but for my clients, because I truly believe that I am better suited to serve them than somebody who sold a gas station today, a flower shop tomorrow, that type of stuff. So so I believe I'm I'm doing a better job for them. So it's been a great decision for for me and for them and and as i look back at my businesses over the years that i've run i should have done it with all of them and yeah. and i i really now looking back think wow i was short sighted and and i thought about niching in the financial planning company i thought about focusing on a neighborhood or a specific area in the pool business you know i've looked at these things and now when i talk to other business brokers and i'm on the state board in florida when when we talk about it a niche doesn't necessarily need to be one industry or one trade it could be one town it could be one size business it could be all of these different things and i just think that you you have the ability to become the subject matter expert if you do it all day long and focus on it and so you're able to do a better job and i think i, I talked to my son about it and his heating and air company and it's scary to think I'm gonna walk away from all this other stuff and just focus on this. And I agree with you too though, just cause you're gonna say I'm the expert in heating and air doesn't mean you have to say no to everything, but to me, that was the, the path I chose. And it was a risky one. <laughs> and so if I were to do it again, I'd probably still take those listings and just not brag about those listings. I'd focus on my marketing about the heating and air stuff. And, and so I think that that probably would have been a wiser way to do it, probably less stressful at the same point in time, because, you know, when you're walking away from it. But I think for me, it was the better decision. Um, it's allowed all my marketing money to be focused on heating and air magazines, heating and air associations, heating and air organizations. When I go to trade shows, it's all heating and air trade shows. So, so it all builds on itself. If that makes any sense that, um, you know, when, and, and, you know, I, I do some podcasts like this that are just general business, but most of the podcasts I've been on have been all trades related. The magazines that I write articles for are all trades related. And so it all kind of feeds on itself. And I think for me, it gives me a better bang for my marketing dollar because it's that information is put there in front of my direct audience. There's not somebody you know, who owns a financial planning company thinking of selling their financial planning company is reading HVAC today, and wants to know <laughs> what Patrick Lang, you know, had to say about maintenance agreements, you know, so, so, you know, it's focused in that niche. So I think for that, it's been a great decision for me. And once again, for my client, I agree with you
1: 100%. I think that really what happens and, and it's just, it's mind trash is really what it ends up being is that You know, we think, well, we've got this massive, humongous potential market, and I want to go ahead and close it down to this, right? To this tiny little market, which is still significant, right? But our minds just get, our minds mess with us, and we think, I'm just taking away 97% of my potential prospects. Well, but were were they really your prospects to begin with? They, They just weren't. So... All right, well, let's take a quick break. Let's, uh, let's have a quick call to action for our audience here. And then we're going to jump back into the kind of the nuts and bolts of what it is that you do and, and how you help these guys or, or these businesses get ready to sell. Hey there, tycoons. Austin Peterson here, co-host of Tycoons of Small Biz. If you think you have what it takes to be considered a tycoon and you're wondering how you could become a featured guest, please follow and then message us at Tycoons of Small Biz on LinkedIn. We'd love to have a conversation with you to see if it is a mutually good fit. And if so, we'll get you scheduled for an interview. If you're unsure about being a guest on our podcast, but are contemplating selling your business over the next few years, and you'd like to know what your business is worth, please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you. And thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now back to today's program. All right, tycoons, welcome back. We're here with Patrick Lang today with Business Modification Group, and we're talking about you know what it is that he does, how he got to where he is today, and and why he chose to focus specifically on his niche. So, Patrick, let's let's talk more specifically about you know to to your audience, so to speak. So, you got HVAC contractors who are listening to this show, and they're saying, okay, well, you know, in the next 12 months, 36 months, 60 months, whatever the case may be. I'm gonna to wanna to sell this business. I want to retire. Some of them are gonna say, my son works here, much like yours did, and he's gonna to want to take it over. Some are gonna say, I don't care, I just want the highest price, you know, get me out when I'm ready. What is it that that you believe they should consider? What should they be talking about, thinking about now to get their business ready to sell? Wow, oh, great question.
0: And and it's really It's not one thing, but it's, it's a few things. And, and one first thing would be finding out what your business is worth. Obviously on your call to action, you just talked about, you know, getting a valuation of that business and, and that's for heating and air and any, any business, what I'm, what I'm saying is, is universal across the board for your clients, my clients, or anybody else out there is knowing what it's worth. People hear all these things that they hear their business is worth that or they read it's worth this and their accountant told them it might be worth this. Find somebody who sells them because at the end of the day, it's worth what somebody's willing to pay you for it. And and that's, to me, ultimate value. So finding out what the business is worth today and then what does it need to be worth for you to walk away? And so one of the questions I ask on all the introductory calls when I have people is, what does the check need to say for you to walk away? And they're like, I don't know. Well, you've got to know, in my opinion. You've got to work with your financial advisor. You've got to work with your accountant. You've got to work with somebody to find out what is it going to take you to get you to and through retirement. And so knowing that figure helps you determine when's the best time for you to walk out. So the first thing is finding that value. Some people are pleasantly shocked. Other people hate me at the end of the phone call when we talk about valuation. And I jokingly say, I get to tell a lot of people their baby's ugly. And I say that jokingly because it it breaks my heart to do it. It's the only way I can deal with it. I meet with people who've been in business for 30 years and haven't done a good job building a business or structuring things the way they are. They come to me expecting me to say $5 million and I say $50,000. And so and so, this is their baby that they spent their whole life for. And I have to say it's ugly. Nobody wants it. Nobody's going to write you a check for that. So the sooner you can start building a business to sell, the better off you're going to be. If you look at your business consistently like you're building it to sell, it changes your whole perspective on the business you're building. So first thing is finding out what it's worth and then finding out what does it need to be worth for you to walk away. And then the third thing is cleaning up your books so many people treat their business like it's their personal checking account and it pays for everything so when we sit down and look at the numbers it's like where's waldo to find out what's going on profit wise and they always wink wink well you know i'm self-employed and and so we we've got a few owners add backs and benefits and you can't get paid to steal twice you can't cheat the federal government and hide all this money And expect somebody to write you a check for it when they can't prove the profit so cleaning up the books is the other thing once again building a business to sell is is different than building a business to run because many accountants doing their jobs are telling you how to ways to reduce taxes and so everybody spends all their years minimizing taxes and never once building a business to show a profit and so then they get to retirement and they say well i've really been making $300,000 $300,000 a year. But on my taxes, it shows I've been losing $300,000 a year. But nobody's going to pay you for that. And so that would be the other thing. And, and once again, the sooner you start, the better. Now, if you're not going to sell your business for 20 years, I'm not saying don't reduce your taxes. But if you think you're going to sell your business in the next three to five years, buyers are typically going to look back at least three years. So if they look back for three years and see no profit, no profit, no profit, Now you're going to sell this year and you have this record profit. They're not going to leave you or a bank's not going to lend on it. So then it eliminates half the buyers from the pool to begin with. So first thing is find out what it's worth. Second, what does it need to be for you? Third thing, clean up the books. And and then depending on what type of time frame you have left would kind of determine the next steps. If you're thinking three to five years out, in the trades, many people are the business. They're the best technician. They're the best service guy. They also do the books. They also are the marketing department. They also are the PR person. They're also payroll. And so never, never do I get a call that somebody says, hey, I want to buy a business where I can work 14 hours a day in the hot sun and then go home and do paperwork for five hours. Never happens. And so if you put yourself in a buyer's shoes you wouldn't want your own business anyways. You wouldn't write yourself a check for it. So starting to separate yourself from the business, if you're looking at growing and maximizing that sale price, having a separation between you and the business is another thing that I would do. And then down the line from there, but I'll kind of pause and, and let you uh, ask some questions or give your thoughts on that as well. Austin.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're, you're definitely speaking my language now. You know, I, I think that, You're absolutely correct. You know, one of the phrases that I use and that Landon uses a lot is, you know, we can't let the tax tail wag the dog. And that happens way too often in businesses because you're absolutely right. I mean, that nobody wants to pay more in taxes than than is due. Right. And I tell clients all the time, there's nothing patriotic about paying more than what you're supposed to pay. Right. Right. But you've also got to be careful that if you're running a lot of expenses through the business, which you know your accountant can can literally and legally justify to be run through the business, but it shows that your business doesn't have much in profit. Well, then the value of the business is is next to nothing, and 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 that's okay too, right? If you don't if you don't have the intention or the need to sell the business, then then that's okay too, right? I mean, Landon wrote an article a couple of years ago called "It's Okay to Shut Down Your Business," right? Like because it is like if you if you run it that way, and you're not counting on selling it for anything, but you made other decisions along the way financially to where you prepared for your own financial independence outside of the business, then it's okay, right? But you and I both know that the statistics, regardless whether you want to or don't really plan on selling the business, a very small percentage of businesses in our country will ever transcend. And so you have to be prepared for that eventuality as well. And so it, it's about doing planning along the way, tax and financial planning. And then of course the state planning, if that comes into play as well. I mean, the state planning comes into play for, for everybody, you know, right. not just those who are ultra wealthy. And that's where, you know, there's confusion sometimes. But you have to understand what do I need to get out of the business? What do I want to get out of the business? And how do I make sure that my books show that it's worth that much? based on my timeline, right? I mean, I think the way that you laid that out was was just perfect. And and it helps people to to visualize that and understand it. But the other thing that that you mentioned at the very end is that most businesses are the business owner. And if you really want to sell for a significant amount of money, that cannot be the case. It doesn't matter what it is you do for a living. Your business cannot rely on you because then it's not truly transferable unless somebody comes in with the exact same skill set that you have. It It just doesn't make any sense. And so, you know, we send our business owners through what's called the Owner Dependency Index, and we have them answer questions and we look at the numbers of the business and all those sorts of things to find out how dependent that business is on them. And just like golf, a high score is a bad thing with the owner Dependency <laughs> Index, right? And so you've got to, like you just said, start to remove hats. You're not the one doing the marketing. You're not the one doing the PR. You hired a very good technician who's, who can actually handle all of the field work. And you're now looking at your business as an asset or an investment rather than your
0: job. And that's the reality there. I tell people all the time, you don't have a business, you have a high paying job. And, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. If you didn't want to have employees and you didn't want to have to deal with that, it, I am 100% for that. I, I'm good with that. But like you said, make sure you have your plan to take care of yourself after the business, because there's nothing there to sell. Because those customers are there with you because they can call the phone, and you answer the phone at 10 o'clock at night, and you're going to come out on a Saturday, and you're not going to charge them much money because you don't have much overhead, and you're going to do all these things. When you leave, those people are going to go find somebody just like you someplace else, and that buyer knows that. So he or she is not willing to pay you for that. And Once again, I'm not saying that the ultimate goal in life is to build a million dollar business and sell it for $10 million. If that's not your goal, I'm good with that. I sell a ton of companies that people walk away with less than a million dollars. And they're happy people who've paid their bills their whole life and they've done an excellent job and they've been pillars in the community. And I love to sell them. I, I really do. I think it's incredible. So I don't think everybody needs to have a $50 million company. But you need to make sure you've got realistic expectations. You can't say, I'm not going to hire people. I'm not going to build a business. I'm not going to do these things. But, oh, by the way, when I sell, I expect to get the multiple, of the guy who had 50 employees. It's just not going to happen. And so that's that's that educational process. And the reality is most people don't know where to go to get the information. And so no. that's why I love to participate on shows like yours. We've talked before. I put information out on LinkedIn, Facebook, all over the place because nobody knows where to go and look. And so I try to do it for the trades. And there's there's lots of other people like me, like you, that are giving information out for everybody wherever they need to be and wherever they happen to be. But it's finding out that information ahead of time, because some people call me at 65 and say, I didn't know. I didn't know that nobody would buy this. And I wish I would have known that 10 years ago. And so those are the ones I truly feel sorry for is nobody helped them, but, but they didn't. They didn't know who to ask, and so so my thing is get as much information as you can. Every broker like myself, you could call me anytime and ask me questions about what about this, how about that, where can I do this, what do you think it's worth now? And I know most brokers will as, as well, and it's two-sided. One, because I really want to help you, and I want you to, to be able to get the best you can for your business. But two, I'm hoping you're going to come do business with me. And if you grow a bigger business, my commission check is bigger. So I'm self-serving in that. So And most brokers are the same way. So they're going to help you to take your business to the next level for you and for them. So that's the beauty to me of the industry is a broker and their client are on the same side of the table. And so let's grow the business if that's what you want to do. And if you don't want to grow it, I'm great with that. Just understand what the check's going to be. Does that make sense?
1: I agree. And, and like you said earlier, some of the hardest conversations that we have to have is when we're talking about that, we call it the value gap, right? So this is how much money you have. This is how much money you need. And the gap in between is how much you need to sell that business for, right? Or have a different plan. Unfortunately, we're in the position all too often of saying, well, your business isn't worth enough to fill that gap. So, we're either not ready to transact in the next one to three years like you'd like to do, or we got to put together a different plan, uh, uh, you know, along the way. And and like you said, this, you know, 65 year old comes to you we've got one right now, 59 years old, wants to sell yesterday, thinks it's worth X, but it's actually worth, you know, 50% of X and it's just not enough. And he has no other assets no other financial assets outside of the equity in his home. So it it, it puts us in a tough spot to say, gosh, you know, I, I wish we would have engaged 10 years ago, but here's the reality of where we are today. So let's put together a plan to get you where you need to be, but it may not be on the timeline that you were hoping for because we're not miracle workers. Absolutely. And finding everything you
0: said all goes back to what you started it with, that you're talking to him planning down the road. You know, I mean, that's those are the ones that that you can still help and they can help themselves. It's the ones that wait to the last minute or their business. The other thing I see is people start to slow down. You know, they get older and they don't want to work as hard and they're not as aggressive and they start to slow down. And then they'll come in and say, well, my use my business used to do two million dollars in sales. And now I look at a tax return that's doing a million dollars in sales. Well, somebody's not going to pay you for what it used to do four years ago. They're going to pay you for what it's doing now. And so planning for that exit is, is so important so that the business is not declining and your check is getting smaller and smaller because you didn't know. And so getting that information is what to me is so important. And, and I tell people all the time that'll call me and say, hey, I want to sell four years from now or five years from now. And I'm not I'm not the coach that that helps them along. I'm just not. That's not what I do. And so but I tell them, here's what it's worth. And if you do these things here, it'll be worth more money. And here's why. So go find somebody that's going to show you how to do that stuff. That's not what I do. But but here's what I do. And so and I tell them, hey, send me your PL every six months. Let's track this. Let's see where we are. Let's stay on top of it. And I'm sure most other brokers would too. Let's, let's see where your numbers are. Let's see where your numbers are going. Heck, we could pass that threshold point sooner and you may be able to sell sooner. Let's not wait. Let's, let's put a, you know, a track in place. And so I just think it's all about the education. It's all about, you know, learning about your business and knowing what your numbers need to be And it. Even back to the tax thing, I mean, it's math. If you're in the highest tax bracket, let's call it 37%. And you Reclassify, let's call it, some expenses that would have been profit, hundred thousand dollars. So you're going to save thirty-seven thousand dollars in taxes. Well, if you didn't reclassify that and showed that as profit, and you got a five-time multiple on your business, that's five hundred thousand dollars. So you're saving thirty-seven and saving taxes, so you can save thirty-seven thousand dollars in taxes, but at the sale table, you're giving up five hundred thousand. And so most people don't look at the numbers of their
1: business enough to know what that real impact is. Absolutely. All right. So let's flip to the other side of the table. I'm a buyer that's looking at a business. What should I be considering? What should I be looking at when I'm looking to buy a business? So I'm, I'm kind of biased on this um, because I bought a heating and air company and I bought
0: other companies. So many buyers call me and they expect this business that's paying, you know, the Net income's a million dollars a year and staff's in place. And I want the seller to carry the note and all sorts of craziness that they went to a seminar and they told them they could buy a business for no money down and, and all these things we're going to do. And so I think, I, you know, to me, I, I think it's about people first. I, I'm a big kind of gut check on people. And so I think meeting, meeting with sellers and, and seeing if you think it's a good fit. Do you trust them? Do you like them? Do you think they're honest people? And, and then the numbers, it doesn't need to be the biggest business in the world with me doing heating and air. And I'll use that as the example, but you could translate it into every other industry. We were talking about, you know, the, the 30, the guy's been in business 30 years and he's the best technician. He's the best salesman. He's the best, everything with the company. That's a business I'd stay away from because once he leaves, those people are going to leave with them most of the time. And often they're a cheap client that you're not going to want anyways. So th- that's part of it. But having it doesn't need to be 50 people there either. So having a business that there's been some separation from the owner. So it's not, and once again, using eating in there as an example, the owner's not out running service calls anymore. It's a technician in the field. It's somebody different. So that customer is not married necessarily to the owner. That would be important. Clean books and records, to me, is important. If you're willing to lie to the federal government and risk going to jail to save money on taxes, how in the world am I going to trust you telling me the truth on what you make? And I have, and I have no recourse. I'm, I'm taking you at your word. So I'm going to be super skeptical. If you're hiding all this money and doing all these things, if I'm going to that transaction, I've got to be nervous. I, I just have to be, because if you're willing to risk going to jail to save $20,000 or $50,000, whatever that figure is, It'd take a lot more than fifty thousand dollars for me to risk going to jail. So, so how what would you stop, you know, stop you from lying to me? So, so clean books and records is important. That doesn't always necessarily mean that they've got that they're QuickBooks experts and they have everything done perfectly, just if they're that they're classifying things properly, so you can easily see income and expenses. Once again, if you're spending all your time looking at all these spreadsheets to try to find out if they're even making any money, that's probably something I would run away from, or I'd buy very cheap. So, what would I look for? Good reputation, good online reputation. Now, you know, you look at Google reviews, look at things like that. Although people can say bad things about you on there with, without some recourse, you can still get a good indication of what what is there. You know, stuff in the community. I also look at a business that doesn't spend a tremendous amount on marketing. One of the biggest badges of honor that these older heating and air guys say when I meet with them is, "We didn't spend a penny on marketing." And at that point, my he- my eyes roll back in the back of my head and think, "Wow, what would you make if you did spend money on marketing?" But <laughs> using that, the opposite side of that is, I don't want to. I don't want somebody who's having to spend a ton of money on marketing, always looking for new customers. Because then they don't have a good reputation. They're not getting referrals. They're not getting repeat business. And so I look for a a good mix. Somebody that's spending some money on marketing, typically the heating and airspace, 10% or less is a good number. If they're spending 50 or 60% of their budget on marketing, that means they're finding somebody new to sell something to every day and there's no relationship there. And I love buying businesses with relationships with a company. Now, once again, not just the owner, with the company, they're loyal repeat business. That's the other thing I look for as well. How often are the customers coming back and buying something? Are they referring other people? Do you have referral systems in place? What are you doing to tell them thank you? So touch points within the business. Some of those I look as low hanging fruit. Many of these smaller companies don't do anything for customer service. They go there, they service them, they get paid and they leave. They never send them a postcard, a Christmas card, a thank you letter, nothing. So, to me, I think in businesses like that, there's a lot of low hanging fruit. If you come in and now all of a sudden you start saying thank you, you start sending out notices saying we appreciate you, you start doing little things like that, they notice it and they become loyal and spend more money with you. So, I think it's a fine line between what's an opportunity and what's a negative in the business, but customer loyalty. And then the other thing is employee loyalty. If every employee there has been there three months, and they've been in business for 20 years, I'd be concerned. Have they been treating their people good? Because at the end of the day, we're all in
1: the people business. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think, you know, those are really good things to, to look for. One thing that I'll just mention on the Google review aspect for, this goes for anybody, whether you're selling a business, buying a business, if you own a business and you've got Google reviews that are, you know, coming in positive and negative, It's important that you respond to them, especially the negative ones, right? Because you can't control what they say, but if you respond to it and you're responding in a logical way and either apologizing if you really did make a mistake or pointing out this is what happened from our point of view and without attacking the person who left that review, that's beneficial to you as the business owner because, you know, we there are customers out there who will put up negative reviews that are just not warranted. Right. But we have to respond and explain our side. And if I'm a buyer looking at your business to buy it and I see that you responded and yes, there was a negative comment, but you know, being a business owner myself, it kind of makes sense to me that this is probably what happened and the customer just felt, you know, like they got blindsided by something or whatever, but it wasn't really something that you could have controlled. That's comforting to me as a buyer to say, okay, you understand what your online, not relationship, but your online um, presence, maybe. Yeah. Well, your presence, but your, uh, oh my gosh, <laughs> your reputation, online reputation is important nowadays, more important than it's ever been. And you can't you can't have it be perfect all the time but you do need to make sure that you're actively participating in that I've even had buyers talk about being
0: perfect all the time I've had sellers who had perfect five stars and I've had a lot of buyers that they don't believe them I mean somebody has to be angry I mean they, they like you know 4.8 or 4.9 so it's not <laughs> it, it's good but it's not perfect because then it's more believable and i've I know a lot of companies talking about that responding. I know a lot of companies where a customer put up an online review, the owner took the time to reply, and it was a misunderstanding. I mean, they were mad because they thought something else had happened, or they were getting something else, or it was going to be something different. And when the owner responded, they ended up taking the negative review down. They said, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that's what it was, you know, kind of thing. But like you said, if it doesn't, then it's on there to see you're not just hiding from it. You know, you don't, you care about what people think and you're taking a few minutes to explain your side. That's great advice.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, I've had a a great time having this conversation with you. Like I said, this is, you know, you're speaking my language, so I get, you know, excited about it anyway. But the last thing I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, obviously you can share your information, how to get in touch with you, but, and part of that is your your website, which is businessmodificationgroup.com. So Tell me what modification means to you and where that name came from for the, for the company.
0: So it's actually, before I was actually a broker, I was doing consulting work, helping people grow their businesses. So that was the, the founding of Business Modification Group. And so we were helping them modify and grow their business. And the thing I actually realized is that people wanted to sell more than they wanted to change. So they weren't willing to put in the effort. That it, the work that it was going to require to make it, and they said, "I just, I'd just rather walk away." And so, as I was doing, I was doing business brokerage and business consulting, kind of together, and trying to help people to grow their business to be worth more, and realize that um, that they didn't want to modify, they didn't want to make the changes, they didn't want to do the things different than what they were been doing. So, I dropped the consulting side completely, and that's when I said, "I'm not the guy to do the coaching or the consulting." Uh, Because for me, on some stuff, I'm kind of a cut and dry person, which doesn't always go well. But to me, you follow a system. And once again, success leaves clues. And everything I've learned, I've copied or read or listened to from somebody else. And I would show somebody, hey, if you want your sales to increase, you have to do X, Y, and Z. Well, that's not the way we do it you're not going to get the results. Then. And so to me, it was like beating my head against the wall, listening to, I'm mad because my sales aren't good, but I don't want to do the work to make my sales good. And so I much, much rather enjoyed the, if you sell it, you get paid my own cooking. And if I do a good job at sell it, I get paid. And uh, so then it, it took the pressure off of them and put it on me. And that's where I'd like to be. So I kept the name simply because I had it and I created it and I liked the logo a little bit and had an embroidered shirt made and thought, well, I'll just keep it. So (laughs) not a real good, uh, a great marketing story to go with that, but uh, that's where it it came from. The ultimate, at first it was to modify businesses and now the modification is people's life. We're moving them from working to retirement.
1: Gotcha. Well, it's a great way to spin it and and change it and still use it for- for the way uh, that you used it and i can certainly understand you know having a shirt that you love and not wanting to get a new one so <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> well, i appreciate yeah i appreciate the conversation patrick quickly how do they get a hold of you you can give your phone number email address linkedin profile whatever you want for people to get in touch with you
0: yeah absolutely any of those ways so as you'd mentioned my website is businessmodificationgroup.com my phone number is 352 352- four, four, zero, four, six, zero, four. That's three, five, two, four, four, zero, four, six, zero, four. I'm on LinkedIn, Patrick Lang, L-A-N-G-E. I'm on Facebook. You can reach me there, call me, email me, text me. I'm happy to help out any way I can. Awesome. Well, look forward to staying in touch and uh, really appreciate the conversation today, Patrick. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. I had a great time and certainly wish everybody the best of luck moving forward. Thanks, Patrick. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, a podcast for small business owners by small business owners. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Arizona time for an introduction to another great tycoon. And be sure to follow us on our
1: social media channels for links to all of our episodes and great content.